Hey, this is Brent Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And today, returning to the show for his fourth appearance is my pal, musician, writer, and now speaker, Mr. Bob Mayo. Bob, how you doing, man? I think you're over-inflating my resume just a little <laughs> bit there. Brent, I'm, doing, I'm doing really well, and I hope you are too. Thank you. Now, we were uh, we were just talking about this. You recently gave a very inspiring talk at MIT. And uh, I want to talk about that before we get into your songs here. Can you take me through it? Yeah. Um, well, I was invited to address a class at MIT. The class is called Heavy Metal 101. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have guest speakers in just about every week. Okay. There's a, a woman named Mary Church who, in the Boston scene, she had a radio show, a metal show um, on WEMF. She has put out a few CDs on a uh, self-produced label, and she is also promoting local shows in the city. I did her show a few times, co-hosted it with her once. And she was invited to MIT to speak, and she thought it would be fun to do it together. So she asked me if I would speak at the event with her, uh, kind of as a team. Mm-hmm. I think that, again, what she was expecting was me to talk about my band, Wargasm. And initially, that's what I, I intended to do as well. But uh, she talked about her history, and it was really interesting because she is a woman in a very male-dominated uh, genre, uh, the metal scene, booking clubs, working with bands on CDs, and um, inviting people up to a radio show to be interviewed was pretty much 100% male and for her to accomplish what she has accomplished uh, in, in that field is pretty amazing. It's a great story. But I kind of hijacked my time with the class. I really felt like I had something to say about metal in general. And uh, it was kind of an opportunity for me to express a lot of things that have sort of been roiling around my head for a couple of years. Uh, as an adult, you, know, you look back at, at your early life and you, you see things a little bit differently. and you start to get grateful uh, and you really appreciate where you are and what you've been through. And uh, I was just in that kind of a, a zone at the time. So I thought that that was a perfect opportunity for me to discuss the therapeutic aspect of metal. I think metal in general, it really has some unique qualities that can resonate with people, especially teens. And I, I think I know from reading your stuff, Brent, you can relate to this when you Teenagers go through that adolescent period of feeling lost and lonely, mm-hmm. you know, isolated. They really, they're looking for something to, to self-medicate with, really. And obviously, some people use drugs and alcohol. I used heavy metal. It really, it really got me through some very difficult times. I used my time at MIT to speak about that, about the therapeutic aspects and what metal has done for me in my life and the confidence it's given me and the opportunities that it's brought me and the the opportunity to rise above some really difficult situations in my childhood it was it was a very gratifying experience to to be able to share that with people that were appreciative of that uh, sentiment and that idea a lot of people there were probably expecting the orgasm guy the heavy metal dude and what they got was was not exactly that it was very interesting for me in that way to kind of bust that bubble and still get through to everybody on it, on but on a completely different level. Mm-hmm. 
it was a once in a lifetime experience. It was really a high point in my journey. I really appreciate it. Now, I have to say, I found much of the confidence to do all that from talking to you on this podcast, Brent. Oh, wow. When we have talked, we have sat here and chatted about music and about what it means to us, which is really the core idea of this podcast, what music can mean to people and how it can move you emotionally and, and reach inside and touch people. That really put me in touch with those thoughts and feelings that I've had. Like I said, the the, the idea, uh, I have a blog that I write in regularly, and mm -hmm. I was considering maybe doing something in the blog based on speaking with you, because when this stuff kind of got woken up with me after speaking with you, it just didn't go away. It seemed like a really good idea. It seemed like a really important idea that I ought to pursue, and then uh, a few months back, this MIT opportunity came up and I said, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. That's where I'm going to do it. And and I did. And and I have to thank you for being the piece of, of connection out there that really kind of sparked this experience for me, which was really life affirming and a fantastic thing. Well, Bob, it's my honor. I'm touched that you just said that I read the, I read the transcription of your talk and it was extremely inspiring. And you know, the, the line that really got me the most was you said, I'm not completely comfortable saying metal saved my life, but I will tell you that metal gave me a life. And I thought that was just such a great way of expressing that. Though you've, you've been through a lot of stuff, you know, people who don't know your, your background and your upbringing, you've, you've had some very, very significant challenges. You should be very proud of yourself. I'm, I'm honored that, that you uh, would even attach me to that. Thank you so much. You are very welcome. Wow. So uh, people can read that on your blog at Mayo Noise. Is it, is it mayonoise.com? Is that right? Uh, it's on WordPress. Mm, I, okay. think, I think if you do a search for one word, Mayo Noise, M-A-Y-O-N-O-I-S-E, mm -hmm. um, and then just put the word metal after it or put, put the Judas Priest after it or something like that, um, I think you'll find it. Mm -hmm. Very inspiring. And also, you know, there's a, there's a, a bunch of other blogs on there that, uh, you know, when you and I met, somebody actually told me about you and they suggested that I read it because they knew that I'd really enjoy it. And I did. The writing's fantastic. Uh, you know, your blogs are, are super entertaining. It's just such a great story. Thanks so much, Bob. I really appreciate it. Well, that, that means a lot coming from you, sir. So thank you again. Um, but 99.9% .9 of the blog entries are about uh, music history, hard rock and metal centric album discussions and ab about the music and the, the one non-musical, non-metal canon piece that I put up there is the MIT talk. So mm -hmm. it, it kind of sticks out in that way. And I, I think I don't think I'm going to head in that direction any further than that. I think I've said everything that I'd like to say about it. Mm -hmm. But if you want to read some stuff about, you know, backstory about some real obscure connections in 70s, 80s metal and hard rock, then check it out. There's a lot of good stuff in there if you're into that. Oh, there's a ton of good stuff in there. It's very entertaining. And that is a great segue into you guesting on the show and bringing in five new songs. It's your fourth time. You bring in songs every time that I've never heard of. <laughs> and I learn something. So, you know, I, I love having you on. So let's go through now. You're going to start here. You've got Blue Oyster, Gillen, uh, Immolation, Wishbone Ash. Let's start with Blue Oyster Cult and the Golden Age of Leather. 
Okay. In my opinion, it's their dark horse candidate for their best record. I guess Agents of Fortune would be everybody's go-to album from these guys uh, because it has Don't Fear the Reaper on it. Mm -hmm. This album is fantastic. This band is packed with five fantastic songwriters. They started out under a different name. They sounded just like the Doors kind of meet the Grateful Dead. It really, they really did sound a lot like the Dead. They they did two records that were rejected by Elektra uh, under a different name. And the way they got their deal was Columbia approached them and said, the Black Sabbath is selling a zillion records and they're not on the radio and they're doing this evil satanic stuff. We'll sign you if you can do you can be the American Black Sabbath. We'll, we'll give you a deal. Hmm. And they did. So the music, it's really, really interesting to me because it's five non-metal musicians working hard to play metal. Hmm. And that's level one irony. Okay. That yeah. is like five other levels of irony with this band. This is what you, this is what it sounds like when non-metal musicians write heavy metal music. Okay. There are so many levels of, of irony here. It's just amazing. In the 70s, critics used to refer to BOC as the thinking man's metal band because they were so different. And this is what fascinates me about them. This particular song, it's kind of a multi-part suite. It's very intricate. When it takes off, it really takes off. Even though these guys weren't naturals at hard rock and metal, they really struck into something something deep inside them that they probably you know didn't expect at all but they were able to to pull it off it doesn't sound cheesy i think they're one of the greatest rock bands of the 70s and for me and my own personal taste that irony stuff just kind of is the icing on the cake this song really rocks hard the musicianship is fantastic it's a story about two rival biker gangs fighting in the desert which is you know kind of hilarious i guess <laughs> knowing the backstory it's a piece of poetry with a lot of Viking imagery in it. It's it's a real riot. If you know the band's backstory, their lyrics are just very tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. They'll, they're a great read, even without the music. As a matter of fact, I'm going to suggest if anyone's listening and they want to check this song out, go online and read the lyrics first. You're going to be very impressed with this, this piece of poetry. Um, just as it is with no music behind it. And then go back and listen to the song, and I, I really think your mind will be blown. Wow. So I wonder how many people out there don't know that piece, don't know that that aspect of Blue Oyster Cult, that there's a lot of this irony, and it was you know guys who are actually not technical metal musicians and, 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 and fans and people playing metal music. It's kind of a stance that they put on to get a deal. And if they didn't pull it off as well as they did, then, you know, it would be a big, stupid joke and they would never have gotten anywhere. But mm -hmm. clearly they were very talented writers. They had a number of hits and they were able to translate that into a genre that they weren't you know, naturally affiliated with, which, in my opinion, is very impressive. Mm -hmm. You know, if if I were to write a country song for money, it would probably be terrible. Yeah. But these guys, these guys came out of the hippie jam band, New York City College circuit. Someone said, hey, we'll sign you and put you on salary if you can be Black Sabbath. And they said, oh, we'll give it a try. And the rest is history. I mean, they've had a ton of hits and sold millions of albums. And unfortunately, right now, they kind of reside in the Saturday Night Live cowbell parody mm -hmm. jail. A lot of rock and metal fans are not very interested in lyrics. 
based on my friends and growing up and my experience, mm -hmm. probably because they're not offered very much from rock and metal lyrically. Blue Oyster Cult is a huge exception to that rule. This is 70s hard rock really raised to another level because it's kind of a, a stretch and a reach. And sometimes people do their best work when they're challenged that way. It's an excellent song. It's a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Okay, Gillen is next, an Abbey of Thelema. So is this one of the ones you hadn't heard before? Yes. Friend? Yeah. Okay. After You have to tell me what you think after I, I tell you what I think. Okay. This is a beautiful piece of work. The album initially only came out in Japan in 1978 or 79. It was recorded uh, with a lineup that only lasted for that one record. It's referred to as the Japanese album because it was just lost pretty much. But in the internet age and the age of Amazon and CD reissues and all that, it's pretty widely available now. But um, as an obscurity, it's a really fascinating record. This is the best song on the record. The band really works well together on this song. I think there's there's a piano in it. There's a flute in it. It's a little bit left field for maybe what you might be expecting from Ian Gillen and Deep Purple. The dynamic shifts in this song are just amazing. There's subtlety in it that you never hear from hard rock. There's a lot of artfulness in the arrangement. It's a beautiful piece of work. It's not, I don't even know if this song is metal or hard rock. It's prog rock, I guess, right? Mm. If it's prog rock, though, it's very assertive prog rock. It's really creative in its structure and its rhythm. It's just, it's miles away from quote unquote rock and roll, but it rocks. I'm going to check it out. As we usually do, I'm going to contact you after the show to let you know what I think of it. Excellent. Excellent. Right. His, his falsetto uh, that is kind of his trademark. Yeah. It's really striking in this song. There's no guitar solo, but there's a flute solo. It's it's really defies expectations, and and again for that reason, it's it's notable and it's really exceptional. I think the lyrics are about Alistair Crowley's wife or or his daughter or some satanic nonsense. But that's always interesting when when the voice of Jesus Christ superstar sings about the devil. It's always interesting. <laughs> that's right. But I think many casual listeners of, of hard rock and metal will be really surprised to hear this from the guy who fronted Deep Purple and Black Sabbath for one record. Okay. Um, next is Immolation and Fostering the Divide. I'm, I'm also very interested to hear your take on this one. Okay. So I'm definitely going to hit you up on this. All right. So it's death metal. And I, I believe it's the first death metal song that I've picked i think i picked an opeth song way back when you did on your first show but i don't know that i would call them death metal but this is blatantly death metal um okay. and you know i've been following my own particular thread of hard rock and metal since like 1975 1976 mm -hmm. that's really where my heart is in the 70s stuff my heart and soul is really there with the music that i grew up with for obvious reasons you know that that's going to resonate with us through the rest of our lives yeah but still following the evolution of the music kind of led me down a, a path into death metal so you know i like what i like i can't i can't i'm not a genre snob i think that just like any other genre of music 99 percent of it is trash mm -hmm. but the, that one percent has some really fantastic music 
And I know this one might be somewhat of a challenge for some of your audience, especially maybe the vocals. Mm -hmm. I think they will find it rewarding as a listening experiment, maybe. that That's my challenge. Just if you feel like checking out something that you are probably on paper, you know you're not going to like, give this one a chance and check it out. On the surface, it might not seem very progressive, but... It is. It, the instrumentation is very left field. The sound and the vibe are super heavy, like crushingly heavy. But there's also a lot of restraint. You kind of have to look through the bombast and the darkness to find the beauty. And it's in here. If I had to pick, well, I guess I am picking one song to try to turn people <laughs> on to death metal. <laughs> um, like I said, 99% trash, but this song is the one song I would go to if I was really trying to convince. This is where I, I would put it on a mixtape and say, you don't like death metal. I know I get it. It's awful. It's loud. It's the vocals are terrible. Check this out and tell me what you think. All right. I'm up for that. I, you know, I go into these things with an open mind and oftentimes I like to try to gain the perspective of the referrer. And so if you say, you know, listen, I love the song, you got to hear it. Oftentimes I'll listen to the song to try to, you know, figure out what it is that you love about it, because it may be something that I'm missing. It turns out to be a great learning experience in that way. I agree. I, I do the same thing all the time. I, I when I was in the band with uh, Rich and Barry, the two other guys in my band, I used to turn them onto music all the time mm -hmm. that they had never heard because I'm a few years older than those two. And, you know, if we were taking a ride in the car or hanging around with nothing to do, uh, I would always bring music with me to, to try to expose them to. And, and the thrill of hearing it, you know, I've heard this song for 10,000 times, but hearing it through them for the first time mm -hmm. is, is a totally different experience. So when the first time you sit down and listen to this song, I really would love to be sitting there with you. Yeah. There's a joy in that. There really is. And I, I love introducing people to new music as well. It's a thrill. Unless you hate it. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, it's Unless a crapshoot with, with death metal. I mean, well, yeah, I mean, you know, with death metal, it's a, the, the chances are slim, but uh, they, they are as a genre. It's it's tough to love. But if you find the one gem there, it, it can be an entryway into finding more. Yeah. And I mean, again, maybe maybe you learn something, right? Well, you might learn that you hate death metal. <laughs> I think a lot of people know that already. Yeah, I think so, too. All right. Next up is Voivod. I know these guys, fellow Canadians. Neutrino is the tune. So this is another um, another album that's kind of lost. It's uh, I guess you could consider it Voivod's lost album. They had a lineup change kind of in their mid-period and stripped down to a three-piece. It was in the 90s, and, and metal was really not on the radar in mm -hmm. the 90s. Not this kind of stuff anyway, but sometimes when the when bands are kind of in an off-season, sometimes when the music that bands are famous for is not in fashion at the time, sometimes they come up with really cool stuff mm -hmm. because they're not, they, you know, they know they have to kind of sit out the next year or two, it's not going to happen. They're not going to have a hit single. They're not going to have a, a hit record like they did five, six, seven years ago because grunge is huge now and they're not grunge. So they're just being kind of creative for creativity's sake at that point. They're, they're making music for themselves, maybe because they're 
they're feeling like maybe their audience is kind of distracted at the moment. Mm -hmm. So this record is one of their most creative, expansive pieces of music. The album's called Phobos. This song's called Neutrino. I have no idea what it's about. Every one of their records is a concept album. But this one, I, I can't help you with. I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of irrelevant. I'll tell you another story. So I had a music teacher in middle school who took the class through some famous classical pieces. And he was demonstrating how music, it can evoke emotions, sadness, uh, happiness, joy. And he played, you know, specific pieces that illustrate, see, the, the main character here is happy. And, and the music sounded happy. And, and it's kind of always amazed me about music that it can really to picture for you. And and the picture is, is pretty universal. And it's a language. And that's that's how these classical composers in the day, they understood that language and how to communicate these ideas through that language. The planets, flowers and birds and stuff like that. It was fascinating to me that, that because when the teacher picked a certain song and said a certain piece and said, okay, this is a bird flying around, I could see it. I, I heard the music and I heard the flute, you know, it sounded just like a bird. I was hooked at that point just based on that uh, aspect of music, the ability to evoke stuff like that. So uh, what am I talking about here? What does this have to do with Voivod? Put on headphones and close your eyes when you listen to this song. Mm -hmm. Get back to me and tell me what you saw in your mind's eye throughout this five or six minute song. Mm. Where did it take you? Where did you go? What happened? It's beyond metal. It's it's almost like they're sort of like the thrash metal Pink Floyd. Yes. Uh, they really are. They, they take that experimental quality to just do whatever art tells them to do not songwriting cookie cutter template kind of thing especially in thrash metal the rules of thrash metal so black and white that if you break one of those rules and add in a, another element that's not in the rule book you're not thrash anymore mm -hmm. you're right and when voivod came up they were a thrash band but they were the only band in the scene while thrash was establishing itself that was doing anything different and they got a lot of detractors for that but they also got a lot of respect for that and that that became their identity mm -hmm. this song is a perfect example it's by no means the only one but this song is an excellent example of how you can still be a heavy metal band thrash metal subgenre band and still be creative enough and different enough and bold enough musically to rise above all of those genre tags. They're just Voivod. I love this band. I always have. They've gone through a lot of different uh, phases in their career, but I always respect everywhere they go because they're fearless and they're not afraid to bring in elements from prog rock. They have elements of Emerson, Lake and Palmer can be found in there. Genesis a lot of really disparate uh, non-metal features of their music and pink floyd is the one that always gets mentioned don't get me wrong they don't sound anything like pink floyd but their approach to what they're doing with within their genre is very much the same so when you check this one out brent raise your right hand okay raised you will listen to it on headphones and you will close your eyes i swear <laughs> i hear about i'll swear. know I will know if you don't. I know, I know you will. <laughs>
know you will. I just want to say one thing about Voivod. It's funny that you make that Pink Floyd connection because my gateway, I mean, I, I this is in the 80s. I don't remember what year their first record came out, but it, it was scary. I remember picking that record up in the record store when I was shopping for, you know, stuff like Metallica and Slayer or whatever. And I picked up the Voivod record and just went, oh my God, what is this? But years after that, in the late 80s, I want to say maybe 89, they covered a Pink Floyd song called Astronomy Domine, if you remember. Yes. And it was terrific. Like it was just, I played that song over and over and over again. And it, it spoke to the depth of the band. And they've gone leaps and bounds beyond that as well. It's, it's, uh, it's, their arc is really amazing. Their first album called War and Pain mm-hmm. is a bloody mess. Yes, that's it's, it. They're all self-taught musicians. You know, I am too. That's not a bad thing, but, but you can tell on the first record, mm-hmm. you can tell, you can tell where their influences were and you could tell that they were still kind of trying to work out how to play. Mm-hmm. But because it was so extreme, and extreme in the underground at that point was was uh, red hot. So they got a deal. Thank God they did because in a, in such a restricted genre, it's, it was great to have a band that was basically giving the finger to those rules and just following their muse. And the last album that came out a, a year and a half ago mm-hmm. is one of their best albums. Yeah, which is saying something. That doesn't happen a lot. Right. I don't know how many legacy bands that that formed in the early 80s that are still functioning today that their latest album is one of their finest works exactly but voivod is a band that can do that because as you say they don't limit themselves to you know genre specific rules right no and i i think the the metal metal nation in general really values them for that because Mm -hmm. it kind of gives them a break you know i can listen to something that's not metal but it's still metal (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean I'm, yeah. I'm not breaking the rules but but i'm secretly breaking the rules yeah exactly <laughs> that's so funny that's such a funny thing about heavy metal isn't it it is you can't listen to you know bon jovi if you're if you're a metal guy it's it's very tribal and you know membership in that club is highly prized and and you don't want to mess around with it I, i'm gonna make a confession here mm-hmm. I'm a closet 70s funk fan. Nothing wrong with that. My collection of Ohio Players records, mm-hmm. uh, Average White Band, uh, Slave's first album, yeah. the early Commodores stuff, all that stuff, I love it. And that is my vacation for metal. I was actually considered for about 30 seconds picking five funk songs and blowing your mind. Wow. But I didn't. <laughs> Next time, appearance number five. But, but, you know, that's the thing. Like when I was in the band and we were writing music and we were a thrash metal band and I said, Hey, why don't we try a funk song? Mm -hmm. I don't think that would have went over very well because uh, the unspoken rule is you don't, you don't do that. That's, that's not what we do. Yeah. Voivod was not afraid to do things that were not allowed. I think too that Voivod understands that a lot of this music is interchangeable, right? And and I've often said that you can take a song like uh, Billie Jean, speed that up, add distortion, and it could be a Black Label Society song, right? Overlord. It's exactly. It's very similar. You know, you take it out those those crunchy power chords, but the, it's it's really. I mean, it's transferable. Those things are transmutable. I think. 
The the other thing that fascinates me about Voivod is they're self-taught. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that automatically sends you in a different direction than than if you learn the instrument the same way most people did. Mm-hmm. Because then it's really about a lot of your own specific personality ends up in your music. Mm-hmm. You, you don't learn the rules and you don't learn the math of music theory. You ha- you learn it to do it your way mm-hmm. and it becomes a unique, expressive, personal thing. I mean, you too were a band that used to say that they were self-taught. If you listen to, you know, the first maybe four or five U2 records, they're in a different place than, than what was really happening around them. The, the drums are very different. The guitar certainly was different. That guy sort of put together a, a new way to play with, with the, the um, Echo delay. Yeah. And, and that, that it was instantly recognizable as him. It was very unique at the time, and it just came from him you know, trying to figure out how to play. So you really get some special stuff when you have a bunch of guys that are just kind of figuring it out at the same time. It, it's a lot more... Uh, I think he gets a lot more unique voice that way. Yeah, no, you're right. Definitely. So that's what Voivod and U2 have in common. I think that Voivod, I would, you know, we could talk about this forever, but I think Voivod has a lot in common with a lot of other bands that are not, you know, of their perceived genre, I'll say. But that could be another podcast. (laughs) Um, Wishbone Ash is your last tune and Lifeline. Yes, Wishbone Ash. Um very overlooked in the United States. They were a real big band in the 70s in the UK, where they came from, toured relentlessly over there and had a bunch of hit records over there. Over here, it's just kind of a name that you kind of see here and there, but maybe you've never heard them. They're an excellent band. Real students of 70s rock guitar will acknowledge that these guys are where the twin guitar harmony thing really happened. Ah. Steve Harris was the first one to, to really speak out, and, and Steve Harris credits them for inspiring Maiden's twin guitar stuff. Mm. If you go back and pick up any one of their 70s albums, you're going to hear that twin guitar thing right away, and that was their trademark in the 70s. And It got picked up by Thin Lizzy. It got picked up by Boston, even. People who really are tuned in to the history of rock guitar will tell you that um, these two guys put that together for the first time and, and it was their trademark throughout their career. Mm-hmm. So obviously there's some really super tasty guitar playing on this song. They're not obnoxious shredders. They're very blues-based and 70s sounding. Their bassist, Martin Turner, he's one of my favorite bass players ever. He's fantastic. And, and every time I drop his name, nobody knows who he is. Mm. It's a shame. He's, he's a really fantastic player the the ensemble playing between these guys is is just super fantastic and this song is a great entry point for them it's kind of an epic it's the it's one of those songs that's the last song on the album so they really pull out all the stops Mm -hmm. has a lot of guitar playing on it not just great guitar playing but lots of it it has tons of that harmony stuff it flows really well it is a great song you know there's probably a lot of music i've chosen for our chats that I appreciate as a musician. Mm-hmm. This is probably one of them. I, I don't know how to hear music without kind of filtering through the musician in me. Uh, what kind of guitar is that? And what kind of mic did they use? It sounds like a Sennheiser. Like that's how my mind works. Mm-hmm. So I don't know 
what a non-musician impression of this song is going to be, but I think it's really impressive. Speaking strictly as a fan of guitar music, mm-hmm. which I, I was a fan of guitar music before I could play the guitar, this is an epic song. It's an epic guitar tune. And I, I know what's in your wheelhouse, Brent. I know you're going to love this one. Mm, okay. Well, I have a lot of homework to do. I'm on it. You know, we, we do this thing, uh, and we have for a while, that I go back and listen to these songs, and I send you notes based on, you know, what I think of them. So um, this time will be no different. I will definitely do that. I'm looking forward to it. Well, one of the things about, as I said with Wishbone Ashes. Remember in the 90s when all the bands did these unplugged albums? Yes. Almost everybody did one. Um, yeah. And they were kind of useless, I guess. This is kind of the opposite of that. Their, their records sound like a folk band that decided to do an electric album. Hmm. Wow. It's kind of, it's an interesting thing. And I, I hope that you can hear that. You know, these guys should be giving you some sort of royalty for... <laughs> speaking so highly and kindly of them i would refuse it Brent. <laughs> i know you would that's awesome well thank you so much once again an amazing chat and i learned a ton and i want to thank you again for the very kind words uh, at the top of the show i really appreciate that you know i will say on record that you are one of the most genuine and authentic people that i've ever met and i say that with absolute honesty so I really appreciate the fact that you took the time for me today. Thank you. Well, you're welcome, Brent. And and seriously, the connection that I have with you is very valuable to me. I'm always honored when you invite me on the show. And it really has brought me to some interesting places. And for that, I am very appreciative. I value our friendship very much. And I hope that someday we actually can shake hands. Mm -hmm. Oh, we will. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that at all. All right, this has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Bob Mayo. Till next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>